Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. Our first reading today is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me, and in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 17, verses 17 through 10. The apostle said, to the Lord God, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the seed, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave, who has just come in from plowing attending sheep in the food. Come here at once and take your place at the table. Would you not rather say to him, please, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that, that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is our Swedenborg reading, Life, Section 109. Moral earthly individuals can look just like moral spiritual individuals to people on earth, but not to angels in heaven. To angels in heaven, they look like lifeless wooden statues if the individuals are focused on goodness, and like lifeless marble statues if they are fo focused on truth. It is different for moral spiritual individuals because a moral earthly person is moral on the outside, while a moral spiritual person is moral on the inside, and the outside has no life apart from the inside. Technically speaking, the outside is alive, of course, but has no life worthy of the name. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you. My first question of the day is how do you guard your treasure? How do you guard what is entrusted to you? Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear a treasure, the first thing that pops to my brain is a treasure chest. I think of pirates, all that. So, what is the first way I naturally think of is that you have to hide it, right? You create a treasure map, right? You bury the, the chest. You record its location, counting paces, making a map of notable objects. You walk past the Canary Cave and go around the Crossbone Stream, cross the Road River and through the Dead Forest, and then you can finally bury your treasure entrusted to you and keep it safe, right? That's, that's what we want to do. What, what does the government do with their treasure, right? We, we all, Fort Knox, right? We create... And Fort Knox is created out of a fear that the Nazis would actually take over New York City. I don't know if anyone knew that. It was created to move the New York gold reserves and all the treasures of Washington, D.C. to the center of our country in order to stop it from getting taken by Nazis. How do we do it? Uh, we use banks, right? We think banks are, are a safe place. We, uh, we also hide it. We find different ways. Um, hollowed out books. Anybody have any of those fun hollowed out books? Uh, little light sockets in the vault. Little, little tiny places that we hide things. You know, one of the things that's funny, how many of you know how banks work? Their vaults are not, like, really full of your money, Right? You give them their money so they can use it. They have enough in there to try and dealy, deal with the average ebb and flow of cash needs for their organization. But the rest of it, the rest of it's out working in the world. Your money is being used by people to make the world function. Think about that in terms of value. You see, we. We hold these things that we're supposed to keep safe, right, our valuables. But the bank understands what is valuable about money. Do you know what is not valuable about money? Stuffing it in your mattress. Hiding it in a wall socket. What is valuable about money is when it is doing something. Otherwise, it has no value. And likewise, what is really valuable in the United States? We didn't always have 
the vast riches we had. We had an idea, right? We had some ideas that stand for principles, that stand for ideas. And these are ideas that, in theory, we've used our economic power to actually promote these ideas. What is actually value? You know, Swedenborg understands that money is just a tool. Money is just something that amplifies or facilitates our inner nature. If we are not nice people and we have money, guess what our money's doing? Not nice things. If we are good people and we have money, guess what our money's doing? We're doing nice things, exactly. When we use money for domination and control and to manipulate other people, money is really bad. But what if we use money to facilitate loving acts of service and care for our neighbor? Now, here's the thing. A lot of times people walk around and tell people, this is what you should do with your money to be loving. But I'm going to say, you don't necessarily need to go out of your way. Paying a fair rate for labor, a labor to allow the person to actually live, that's a loving action. Realizing that like a server at a restaurant is making under $10 an hour, under probably $7 an hour, probably around $5 an hour for, oh, we have an expert there, yeah, around $4 an hour, tipping them is not doing them a favor. Tipping them is making it so they can pay their rent. How about other things? And I know this is going to touch some people's sore spot, but how many people really try and hide the fact that they have as much money as they do and they want to sneak on their taxes? Right? A lot of people did this with Amazon. Hey, if I just mail order everything, I don't have to pay my taxes. That's really great. And then the states are like, hold on a second, we're, we're losing some revenue. Because that money used by the government doesn't go to, well, especially in Massachusetts. I don't know how many of you know, our legislators are part-time workers. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's not a full-time wage. It's a part-time wage to be a legislator in Massachusetts. Our money goes towards making sure that our roads are good, making sure that all sorts of things work together. Paying your fair share, and we can argue about who's doing that and who's not doing that at a different time, but paying your fair share of what it costs to live in community, paying the person who's providing you goods and services and not trying to weasel out because maybe they made a mistake. Sometimes people say, well, gosh, a mistake was made. I shouldn't have to pay for this. Understanding that caring about another person actually does involve wanting that other person to live in a happy and healthy way. Money means something. What does it mean for you to love through the use of money? Now I want to go back to our scripture for the day. Guard your treasure. Right before this is written, by the way, Paul really details that being a person of God is not a happy thing. I don't know if you heard that. He talks about the difficulty, the pain, the jail, the torture. 
He's not saying that living a Christian life is going to give you everything you want. He's not the prosperity gospel. If, if you're just good enough, life's going to be easy. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you live a life that's good, you will feel connected to God and you will live a life of freedom that denies the definition of this world. Paul understood that there was something deeper. Paul commands Timothy to teach and preach and guard the good treasure, but he's not saying hide it. He's talking about what banks do with your money. He's talking about how do you live the teaching. He's talking about how do you show love. He's talking about how do you save the people and the little animals. I was trying to be conscientious of the fact that it was blessings of the animals. How do you teach the people around you the treasure that you have? To be entrusted in what Paul is saying is not to say hide and protect and make it so nobody can see it and keep it reserved. It's actually about telling the people around you what you think, what you feel, what you understand. It's giving the gift of love and truth even to our furry companions. But Paul, in sending this letter, acknowledges the fact that this is not something we naturally do. This is something that has to be cultivated. It's something that grows from an immature state and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's encouraging Timothy to keep going down the road he has started. That when Paul falls, Timothy will be expected to pick up the gauntlet and to stay true to what he has been taught. The Lord tells us, I don't know how many people are biblical literalists, but the Lord tells us that faith the size of a mustard seed, and I don't know how to measure faith. I haven't got a faith ruler yet. If anyone finds one, let me know. A faith ruler, mustard seed's very small. So if you can measure your faith, a faith the size of a mustard seed will make you move mountains and command trees to get up and move. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever seen a mountain move. Ever command, anyone here ever command a mountain to move? No, it didn't work out? Yeah, it doesn't work out for me, too. I've never had a tree, like, ah, oh, the roots are going into my house. If I have enough faith, I can just... Uh, tree, move over about 10 feet. Get away from the foundation. Didn't work. Does that mean I don't have enough faith? Even in the world of the biblical literalists, they say, well, this comment's figurative. It's not literal. It's saying that, that Jesus is encouraging us to, to live a life of hope about what faith can do. Now, I'm going to say something interesting. I do believe that faith can move mountains, but I want to shift our understanding of what's meant by a mountain. What if the figurative part isn't just simply trying to encourage us, but the figurative part is actually the fact that the mountain is symbolic, that a high place is a place of closeness to God, and that your faith has the ability to transform the valleys of despair into the high mountains of faith. What if you... And whether it's money, whether it's a hug, whether it's 
anything else you could possibly do. You have the ability to transform a pit of despair into a mountain of love through your faith. You have the ability by doing what was entrusted to you, which is a gift of a message of love from Scripture. The idea that love never runs out. Love is not a finite resource. No matter the money, no matter the tool, no matter what you have, if your core is love inside, no matter what you have, you can transform the world around you to being a place that is closer to God. That's amazing. You are an endless font of love that you can share. Now, our reading from Swedenborg today, somebody might have thought, well, that's kind of crazy sounding. He's talking about statues and stuff. But, you know, think about it. To an angelic spirit, a person who on the outside is doing one thing, but their inside is different, what does that person look like? They probably look dead, like they're not moving. What's the point of something that isn't actually living a life of love, but is proclaiming a life of love? Or that believes a life of love, but isn't actually living it? What we are talking about in our letter from the epistles today is taking what has been entrusted to you and ceasing from actually holding it quietly and using it in the world. The protection is exactly opposite of what you think it is. Protection isn't quiet. Protection isn't not doing anything. Protection is living loud. Jesus knew this, and on the road to Emmaus, he, he commands the disciples to stop hiding. On the road to Emmaus, he encourages them to gather the apostles together and to go out into the world and do what they were entrusted to do with his sharing a message of love with everyone around them. Review your week in your head. What are the things that you do? Where can you bring love more fully to those who are around you? And again, it's not about what you're doing. It's how you're communicating and living with the people around you. You can be in traffic. You can be on the sidewalk. You can be serving people at a restaurant. You can be retired. You can be anything, and you can still have love transform the world around you. How can you teach love and truth to the people around you in a way that keeps the value of love that we have learned from our faith in the forefront of our minds? How can you transform the valleys of despair that you might walk by into mountains of hope and love? Sometimes it's just a smile. Someone saying please or thank you. Sometimes it might be food. Sometimes it might be some grand act. But other times it might not be. So this week, as you go about your life, how will you guard the treasure that has been entrusted to you? Will you guard it in your mattress 
or will you invest it in the people around you? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.